Hey everyone, it's me, Phil, from The Weekend Doubt. Uh, this would be episode 276. I figured for today, I, I just wasn't in the mood, I'd dispense with that pithy little intro I've been doing. Um, and, and so, before we begin, I'd like to thank John Harley and Kevin Gould for liking The Weekend Out Facebook page. So we're almost up to 180 likes. Thank you guys, much appreciated. And so, yes, once again, this is going to be another unscripted episode. What I originally had planned for this week was I was going to publish a brief little audio documentary on the history of Valentine's Day that, appropriately enough, I had planned on releasing on February 14th. I don't necessarily have any special affection for uh, Valentine's Day. Like a lot of people probably do, I tend to consider it one of those lesser holidays, but I still thought it would have been a good excuse to make one of those little audio documentaries that I love doing. But even though I've been compiling information on the subject since last week, I think, I realized when it was coming down to the wire that I just wasn't going to meet that February 14th deadline. And I was a little disappointed in myself, perhaps, because I think this is something I've been wanting to do for the past year or two, but for some reason I've just failed to get it done. Maybe I'll still put it together and release it in the near future, even though it will obviously be late. And that way, at least it will already be in the can and ready to go as a Weekend Out replay next year. Now, I did have a plan B. There were a couple of clips involving Sam Harris that was kind of, uh, it's champing, not chomping, right? Champing at the bit to, uh, to kind of dissect and comment on, on the show. One was a clip from Sam's recent interview with Russell Brand, which still sounds really surreal to me. Like, maybe you'd wake up and said, I had this really weird dream that Sam Harris was talking to Russell Brand. But to be fair, I guess it does make a kind of sense. Uh, both men are very interested in the subject of consciousness, Eastern philosophy, meditation, that kind of thing. The key difference being perhaps that one, Russell Brand is a comedian, the other, Sam Harris, is a philosopher and neuroscientist. And I'm not saying that Russell Brand isn't worthy of talking to Sam Harris because he's just a lowly comedian. No, it has nothing to do with his profession. I love comedians, comedy. Um, Joe Rogan's a comedian. I absolutely love it when he interviews Sam Harris. And I'm a big fan of uh, Joe's show in general. I guess maybe why it seemed like such a kind of odd pairing to me is that I think of Sam Harris as a very serious thinker, um, someone who's very scientifically minded, and Russell Brand, although he's interested in some very, well, interesting topics, and I think when you listen to him talk and you kind of look beyond the kind of silly persona and everything. Um, he's obviously an intelligent guy, in his way at least. But no, I mean, you listen to him talk, he, he's very quick, very knowledgeable or well-read regarding the topics that interest him. To an extent, I think he did seem a little out of his depth when talking about foreign affairs, etc., with Sam 
as uh, friend and listener Jody Mack pointed out, uh, I think he, he wasn't even aware of who the uh, the head of ISIS was, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. And Baghdadi still makes me chuckle. I, I know I'm a, uh, I'm a damn child. Uh, and I'm not trying to crucify Brand over, uh, although he does look a bit like Jesus, over um, the fact that he wasn't aware of that one piece of information. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that there were some areas where his knowledge did seem a, a bit lacking or thin in comparison to Sam. But my real problem with Brand that I think differentiates him so much from Sam is that he seems to come at things from this kind of wishful thinking laden, airy fairy, hippy dippy, sorry to bury you in technical jargon, um, worldview or whatever. And that's not without its charm. And I can see the appeal of it, especially as someone who has a fondness, even though I'm a non-believer, for certain aspects of spirituality, uh, for Buddhism, meditation, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, brass tacks, uh, I'm a skeptic. And I'm looking for facts and well-reasoned arguments and not just ideas and platitudes that are going to make me feel all warm and fuzzy. And on top of that, even though I'm a left-leaning person myself, I did find Brand's politically correct approach to things to be a bit of a turnoff. And I was really put off by his embrace of cultural relativity. I think, ironically, when people invoke cultural relativity, they think they're being virtuous or nice. They're defending this other culture and saying, who are we to judge? But I think it's actually a potentially dangerous way to look at things because it can cause you to excuse behaviors that we'd probably be in the right to call out as abhorrent. Female genital mutilation, honor killings, child brides, etc., etc. And Brand really did have this who-am-I-to-judge kind of approach, I think he even described himself as, you know, uh, not being fit to judge because he was indoctrinated in the West in this different culture. And there is, in fairness, some truth to that. None of us get to choose where we're born or what culture we're, quote-unquote, indoctrinated into. But that being said, is that really a road you want to head down? Where you wave off barbaric and oppressive practices inflicted on fellow human beings around the world in the name of cultural relativity. I was born in a different culture. Who am I to judge? And I think where in the conversation this came up, and maybe I should backtrack for a moment, this conversation between Brand and Harris came to my attention when uh, my friend and fellow podcaster, uh, Chris Weber, tweeted an excerpt from it at me. And it's funny, Chris Weber and I agree on probably almost everything. We're both left-leaning people. I don't, um, I, I don't know if Chris necessarily sees himself as having any official party affiliation. I really don't trust politicians on either side of the aisle very much. So I tend to consider myself a left-leaning independent. But the one thing 
Chris and I continually disagree on is Sam Harris. I wouldn't call myself a Sam Harris fanboy. I don't think he's above reproach or criticism, but I do admire him and I do find myself agreeing with him most of the time. And the one thing in particular that I've always loved about Sam Harris is the fact that, like myself, he's, uh, you know, he's a fellow non-believer who's nevertheless still interested in quote-unquote spiritual topics, in expanding consciousness, in meditation, and, uh, and things like that. And so I-, I can really relate to him in that sense. And when you're a skeptic or an atheist, whatever, I technically tend to refer to myself as an agnostic atheist, Having those interests can sometimes make you feel like a bit of an odd duck. Well, there's lots of reasons to consider me an odd duck, but um, in, in this particular context, among other skeptics and atheists who may be quick to just kind of poo-poo and thumb their noses at uh, things like meditation, quote-unquote spirituality, etc. And to me, spirituality is just kind of a stand-in term for these kind of um, experiences that most of us are capable of or have had that some of us might deem transcendent. Except to me, they're not supernaturally transcendent. They're transcendent in the sense of transcending one mode of consciousness to another. And so the experiences I'm alluding to here are things like psychedelic experiences, uh, being quote-unquote in the zone, maybe if you're an athlete or whatever, um, being moved by nature, experiencing a sense of egolessness, etc., you know, where you feel like you're plugged into the universe or something larger. And it's not necessarily what I want to be true, but if I had to guess, if I was a betting man, as they say, I'd probably, you know, lean heavily to the side that's more likely there's a neurochemical explanation for things like that rather than a, a supernatural or preternatural explanation. And I think that's evidenced uh, to some degree, uh, obviously, in, in the case of things like psychedelics, where you know you're ingesting a certain substance and that chemical reaction has an, a, a direct effect on your consciousness. But anyway, that's why I dig Sam Harris. And uh, I'm probably more interested in that aspect of his work than I am necessarily in what he has to say about Islam, etc. But suffice to say, uh, C-Webb is not a big Sam Harris fan. So (laughs) once in a while, he'll ask me if I saw this exchange between Sam Harris and someone else, and he'll want to know what I think, and he usually takes the anti-Sam position. And I'm not saying he does that blindly or for the heck of it or to be partisan. I think he's a principled person who holds some strong convictions. It just happens that on this one, uh, in this one area, we usually tend to disagree. So he, he usually takes the anti-Sam position and I'll usually try to be diplomatic and couch things gently and be like, well, you know, I kind of agree with Sam on this, you know. And so, yeah, Chris tweeted this little excerpt from that uh, exchange between Brandon Harris at me on Twitter, obviously. And uh, I think I replied kind of jokingly. I'm like, wow, that, that's a 
that's a loaded two minutes or something like that. And um, actually, I wonder if I can find it. Okay, I'm back through the magic of editing. I found the clip on Twitter again. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to download it or successfully capture both the video and audio with a screen capture tool. So I had to record the audio the old-fashioned way using my Blue Yeti mic. So be forewarned, the quality is somewhat muddy or lacking. Women who are who have almost the worst possible life on planet Earth. I mean, we're talking about maternal mortality rates that are off the charts. You're talking about uh, illiteracy that is that you have to go back 200 years I think this in the is West the to find that level of the illiteracy. kind of reasoning that's used to justify the bombing and no, commercial not... colonization of those territories. They're not like us. They treat women different from us. I don't think okay. we're in a position to make those judgments. Okay, so, so, then, so then tell me how you would react systems. to this. I have, two, I have two daughters, and if I were thinking the way you were th thinking about this issue... What if I thought it would be a great idea to have a cultural exchange program where I just sent my daughters over to Afghanistan to live with a Taliban family? So rather than go to summer school here and get prepared to go to an Ivy League college Sam, or whatever it is, all your I, send them to I send them to live with the Taliban. You don't need to explain all this to me. I okay. see where you're going. Okay, so, like, so, I'm well, not so, nine years old. No, but, but, no, but, Sam, darling, but tell, listen, but, my no, point but you is gotta answer all it, answer of your it. thought experiments, well, I'm from uh -huh. a Western culture. I've been indoctrinated differently. So you're saying there's no, no right or wrong here, I don't really. think that there's, that I, I'm not in a Position. I think it's very different, me saying I've been born in the West, I've grown up in the West, my daughter's born in the West, now impose upon her a totally different set of uh, values. I don't want, want her to go to the Deep South either. You, you know, like, you, oh, there's all sorts of think, things. You don't I don't want her to unlucky. go to places in Britain. You don't think it's unlucky to be born a girl in Afghanistan uh, five years ago? I think that these kind of uh, sort of theoretical tableaus are used to create a false hierarchy and a moral superiority by a dominant culture that subsequently uses thinking of this, of this nature to underwrite the modern day colonization okay. and subjugation of these people on a massive scale. Right, so and me, as barbaric me, and disgusting okay. as 9-11 was, a daily 9-11 since then, so that a, a state system can perpetuate itself using rationalism, using comfortable means of executions that glide slyly by all white in the sky, is no better or the, than the 9-11 well, that it was over post too. It, it, is, it is better. So we can talk... So you're invoking uh, many things here which we should treat systematically, things like collateral damage. So you, you drop a I bomb... I don't even like that language, I, collateral uh, damage. Okay, so there it is. And a lot of that I already covered regarding cultural relativity, etc. And if this episode had been more organized, you know, I probably would have played the clip beforehand or should have played it beforehand. So working my way backwards, in fairness to uh, Russell Brand, I can definitely see why people have a problem with the phrase, quote-unquote, collateral damage. There's something kind of uh, creepy or off-putting about it, like it's a euphemism seemingly intended to soften or sanitize the idea of innocent people killed by our military. And also, to be fair, I think there is a long history of Western interference in the Middle East, and then that interference or our actions over there coming back to bite us. 
For instance, during the Soviet-Afghan war, uh, back then, Osama was our buddy, right? Fighting with the Mujahideen, who I believe the CIA funded and armed. Then eventually he went on to found Al-Qaeda and uh, declared war on the U.S. And we know how all that turned out. That doesn't mean that we deserved 9-11. When I think of 9-11, it still gets my back up. To me, it's one of the worst atrocities in human history. Roughly 3,000 innocent people killed in one day. People having to choose whether to burn alive or jump to their deaths from high up on a skyscraper. So just being honest, I mean, you can see how Western interference may play a part in how things unfold. But that's no justification for terrorism. To me, there, there is never an excuse for terrorism. And that brings me to something that uh, Brand said that kind of irked me. When he described Western interference or the, a Western military presence over there as a kind of daily 9-11, I thought that was a bit much, a bit over the top. Don't get me wrong, I don't think we should have ever invaded Iraq, Um I think we should have been out of Afghanistan a long time ago. And my heart goes out to the innocent people that we hear about who are killed in drone strikes uh, during weddings or whatever it is. And I guess this is where I should probably circle back around to Russell Brand and cultural relativity. You know, I think whatever you think about our presence or interference or military action over there... However much you think we may or may not have mucked things up overseas, you know, I think there's still some things we can say about the treatment of women in certain parts of the quote-unquote Muslim world. As I mentioned before, female genital mutilation, honor killings, and on a less extreme note, perhaps, and maybe these were the things that Russell and Sam we're referring to specifically, uh, in fairness, I'm not sure, but things like not allowing women to drive, women being forced to walk behind men, being told what they can and can't wear, etc. I'm not saying we should go to war to stop the forced wearing of burqas uh, or something like that, but I, I think we're allowed our opinion. And when it comes to some of those more extreme examples like female genital mutilation and honor killings, I think that should be, if you're a decent human being, considered far outside the realm of cultural relativity. To me, I hope most people around the world could agree that these are human rights issues and examples of barbarism. And by saying all this, I'm not suggesting that the United States is squeaky clean I'm sure there's things over here that people could judge us for, uh, and they do, whether it be something like capital punishment or, you know, our foreign policy or whatever. That doesn't mean that we can't say, hey, you know, holding down a female child or a young woman and sawing off parts of her external genitalia while they scream in pain and bleed, uh, that ain't right. Killing a woman because you think she dishonored your family. That ain't right either. Um, And I know that uh, usually whenever I talk about female genital mutilation, you'll get the anti-male circumcision people 
coming in and saying, what about the guys? We still circumcise male infants in this culture. And I actually kind of agree that it's uh, it's kind of messed up. Um, I don't think that male circumcision, unless botched, is, a, is as extreme as female circumcision or female genital mutilation, especially in the most severe of examples where they actually remove the clitoris, which would be on par with, you know, amputating the penis. But yeah, nevertheless, um, I do think it is kind of barbaric, especially when you think about the history of circumcision in the West with Dr. Kellogg using it as a uh, proposed preventative for masturbation. And I know there might be some female listeners thinking to themselves, but have you seen one of those things? (laughs) And you might think that's unfair for me to bring up. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard female friends talk about just how grossed out they are by uh, uncircumcised members and how much they prefer, you know, the cut variety or whatever, which I always thought was kind of uh, unsympathetic, I guess, in that, um, I mean, everyone has their preferences, but I imagine it's probably largely cultural that if the only ones you had ever seen were uncut, then you'd probably see that as normal, you know? Um, And I know that male circumcision used to be pushed for, you know, quote-unquote hygiene or hygienic reasons, but I don't think there's enough evidence necessarily in that direction to warrant the surgical removal of an infant's foreskin, a nerve-rich part of the body here in the West where it should be easy enough to practice good hygiene. And if you're a long-time listener, then you're probably wondering, is Phil going to bring up the story of his adult circumcision back when he was like 18 or 19 or whenever it was? And no, no, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to go into all that again and uh, have um, strangers on the internet berate me for something I did when I was, or had done when I was a teenager. I think in a weird way, you know, who better to talk about male circumcision than someone who's lived on both sides of the fence, you know? But I said I would go into it. So what the hell were we talking about? Russell Brand and Sam Harris? Oh, yeah. So the the other weird thing is um, when Sam starts talking about the treatment of women in certain parts of the Muslim world, you know, right before or right around the time Russell Brand goes off and that whole cultural relativity thing, he also talks about how, you know, he scolds Sam and says it's that kind of thinking that he thinks leads to colonialism and et cetera and uh, or, you know, invasion and um, I don't think the U.S. ever invaded any part of the Mideast over, uh, you know, the burqa or whatever. I don't think that's why we went into Afghanistan. It's definitely not why we went to Iraq. I think Iraq, comparatively speaking, was fairly secular. I mean, it, it was a brutal regime, but it wasn't as religiously strict as other areas in the region. I mean, the invasion of Afghanistan was a, what, a response to 9-11. And why the hell did we go into Iraq? Remember the whole yellow cake thing? Definitely seemed like uh, old Dick and George were uh, champing, champing, right? Not chomping at the bit to go to war with uh, Iraq. I think part of it might have been some 
weird idealistic vision of turning the Middle East into Disneyland. Part of it was uh, the Bush administration seemed to or you know have a chip on shoulder against Saddam. Um, I guess the more uh, cynical among us would would posit oil, natural resources. I mean, pardon my French, but Saddam was a, a murdering bastard, you know, uh, not a good guy by any stretch of the imagination and nor were his two sons. One, I believe, was more of a psychopath than the other. Was it Uday? I can't remember. But I don't think taking Saddam out was necessarily worth the huge disaster that unfolded and the uh, the power vacuum that opened up and in part allowed for the uh, the rise of ISIS. I think another reason why Chris sent me that clip is he absolutely hates Sam Harris's uh, quote-unquote thought experiments, his theoretical uh, scenarios, etc. Um, and I think he liked when Russell Brand went after Sam for that. Remember, Russell Brand was kind of having a laugh at Sam when Sam brought up the thing about you know, would you send your daughter over to Afghanistan? I personally thought that was a pretty damn good point. When you're having trouble getting through to someone, sometimes if you just cut through the bull and get to get down to brass tacks, you know, it can help kind of hammer home your point. And I think, yeah, really forcing someone to ask themselves, you know, would you actually, uh, okay, that that's some nice flowery speech, would you actually send your daughter over to Afghanistan? Um, you know, and, and I know in this world we live in, no matter where, even a, a place that's relatively safe, if you send your children off, you never know what could happen to them, you know? But uh, there's some places that you have more reason to worry than others. And, and I think Afghanistan would be one of those places. Especially if you're taking part in the the Taliban exchange program. Don't worry, that's not a real thing. At least I hope not. So we're already like 26 minutes in, and believe it or not, I originally wasn't even going to talk about this. After that uh, that horrible shooting that took place yesterday, um, I was actually going to put this on the back burner. Usually, you know, something like a school shooting falls outside the usual wheelhouse of the show. Uh, it's not the type of thing I necessarily want to focus on, but I was going to bring it up because Sam Harris actually issued, is issued the right word? Uh, a kind of, inf I don't know if I'd call it inflammatory or uh, controversial, not to me anyway, but it got a, a lot of people's dander up. He issued a tweet uh, regarding the shooting. I guess the best word for it might be divisive. That might be the proper adjective. And I'm actually interested to know what Chris Weber's take on this tweet is. I don't know if he's aware of it or not, because I think here he'll actually be uh, right on the same page as Sam Harris. So I'm looking at Sam's tweet right now, and actually right above it is a tweet from Steven Pinker. So I'll read that. Saturation coverage of rampage killers gives them exactly what they seek. Every day, as many Americans are killed in homicides as in a mass shooting. Legal scholar Adam Lankford proposes stop encouraging mass killers by making them celebrities. And so that's an interesting point. And I actually kind of like 
what CNN, especially uh, Anderson Cooper. I haven't watched, really watched CNN since uh, the last presidential election. <laughs> um, I, I just, I couldn't stomach looking at a wall-to-wall Trump coverage every day. Um, so I don't know if it's still Anderson Cooper's policy, but he used to, whenever there was a, an incident like this, um, he would refuse to read the perpetrator's name on the air and focus on the victims. And I thought that was a pretty dignified solution to the problem of, uh, you know, the media kind of turning these shooters into celebrities or a partial solution, at least. I think Anderson Cooper was really, you know, trying to set an example or stand on principle, but uh, the killer's name is always just a Google search or, or a channel click away. Okay, so here's Sam's tweet, and it was issued yesterday. The real mystery in the aftermath of shootings like this is that the NRA retains any political influence at all. It should be recognized for what it is, a dangerous cult. And to put things in the context, I think Sam is actually either a gun owner or he shoots guns, uh, but he's no stranger to guns. I think that's a good reminder that it doesn't have to be either or. You know, this is one of those partisan footballs where it's kind of wash, rinse, repeat. We keep experiencing these mass shootings. And in the wake of them, the two parties fight back and forth. People on the left propose gun reform. And people on the right in the NRA say it's too soon after the incident to talk about that. And then eventually... Everything goes back to the status quo until the next horrible mass shooting. And I apologize for my laughter. I'm not laughing out of amusement. I'm laughing out of exasperation um, that this just keeps happening over and over again. But as I was saying, you know, Sam himself has some experience with guns or owns guns. And there's other people like uh, I think Bill Maher, very outspoken when incidents like this happen. But he himself, you know, he admits that he's a gun owner. Um, I think you can own guns and still be for sensible gun reform. You know, maybe trying to prohibit certain types of weapons or maybe more stringent background checks or uh, just trying to implement strategies that might help catch or spot some of these disturbed people before they slip through the cracks and mow down a bunch of innocents. And I know that's much easier said than done. And as people on the right will often say, if someone wants to kill a bunch of people badly enough, they'll find a way to do it. And there's probably some truth in that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to create a safer climate where it's harder to get certain weapons or to try to create a system that's more effective at detecting these kind of individuals or, or keeping guns out of their hands. But I do agree with Sam that it is weird how much political influence the NRA retains. I mean, for people like myself who just want to see some kind of sensible gun reform, you know, without scooping up everyone's guns, you know, <laughs> which I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, there's so many guns in the U.S. I don't think logistically the authorities could scoop them all up if they wanted to. 
uh, but I don't think it would come to that anyway. But whenever someone wants to talk about sensible gun reform in the wake of an incident like this, it seems like the NRA is right there, ready to put the kibosh on it or strangle it in its crib. Well, that's a dark figure of speech. I don't think I've ever used that one before. But uh, let's read uh, some replies to Sam's tweet. Someone named Sander says, beat them at their own game, create an anti-NRA, and outspend them. Maybe we can squeeze some sanity through both houses of Congress. Someone named Bacon Eater, obviously a Canadian, says, it is way easier to organize an irrational cult than to organize the majority with a common sense position, because common sense just isn't a cause that will fire up people enough. Then the same person says, the overwhelming majority of Americans want universal background checks on all gun sales and also believe that the mentally ill should not own guns, let alone AK-15s. Will people join and donate to a sensible gun control organization? NRA gets money from nuts and gun companies. Then the Sander person says, it'd be nice to see people like law enforcement, military personnel, hunters, etc. lead the charge for such an organization, calling for common sense laws, not Hollywood actors and such. Well, I think it's a good idea to try to get law enforcement, military personnel, hunters, etc. People who are gun owners themselves and just want to see some sensible changes. Then someone from the other side of the argument says, the NRA did not cause this shooting, a mentally ill kid did, and the PC culture in our schools and society allowed this to happen? What the? The real mystery is how we as a society let this kid fall through the cracks because we are afraid of offending him. And I actually, I don't get that. I don't see how PC culture allowed this kid to get a gun and mow down people. Someone named Stephen King, I don't think that Stephen King, says, you're right, they didn't quote-unquote cause it. They are willing participants, though. They donate millions and millions to politicians to prevent any meaningful legislation for gun control. They are complicit. All right, well, I guess, you know, let me know what you guys think. If you're a listener to the audio-only version of the podcast, you can let me know via Twitter or the Weekend Out Facebook page. If you're watching on YouTube, you can let me know in the comments section below. Now, that being said, thanks for listening, guys. You know the drill, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, you can do so via iTunes or Stitcher. If you'd like to help the show monetarily, you can do so via Patreon. Let's go to patreon.com slash theweekendout. You can help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. And uh, speaking of that, I did record and publish the second episode of the Not-So-Secret Show, uh, a series for Patreon supporters. And the second episode is basically me drinking and doing other things and uh, waxing whatever about my obsession with the doors. So (laughs) if that sounds interesting, you can look forward to that if you're thinking about becoming a Patreon supporter. All right, thanks.